coming up this week on the Single Seater Space podcast. Ferrari strategists, um, pretty typical indeed. Who needs a bit of a reset and uh, why is it Graham Rahal? James wears a bow tie very proudly. Why are you Why are you wearing a bow tie, James? Remember, you can find all of our content on our website, singleseaterspace.co.uk and on our social media using the at singleseaterspace. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Single Seater Space podcast. After the Spanish Grand Prix, the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix in IndyCar, and also a doubleheader for Formula E in Jakarta, we've got lots to dive into this week um, with so much action happening on the track. Um, There was drama, there was controversy, there was overtakes, there was lots of things to talk about. Uh, So we are going to give you a full and comprehensive review, as we always do on this podcast. I'm James Scott, Single Seater Spaces IndyCar reporter. And once again, of course, alongside me is Taryn Glazebrook, uh, Formula E and Formula One writer for our website. And uh, Taryn, we'll start then with reacting to our Formula One predictions with the uh, how many seconds will Max Verstappen win by we almost anticipated it would be a slightly closer race than it was um but then again we sort of overestimate Sergio Perez's ability to keep on Max Verstappen's coattails um how impressive was Max Verstappen and then I guess how disappointing was Sergio Perez uh Verstappen again this week was just an inevitability um of course you know Perez um he wasn't as awful as Monaco right I mean he didn't crash in Q1 well he almost crashed in Q1, but um, you know he did a pretty he did a pretty um shoddy job. It was not a good weekend for Sergio Perez um, to get knocked out in Q2. The guy hasn't gotten to Q3 for two weekends in a row, and um, well, uh, he, he can only really blame himself for this, right? Um, you know, and no nobody was there to stop Max Verstappen. Uh, it was the thing about Max is. He he really he sent us back to the days of Essen Senna properly by the fact that he was trying to smash his teammate at every corner of every lap of every race. You know, that was what Ayrton did. And you can definitely see Max doing that, especially the fact the guy um was uh whinging about the fact he couldn't negate any more track limits uh at the end of the race. He was he and his engineer was just saying, Oh, you're going too fast, please slow down, mate. But, um, you know, uh, Perez was just shocking. I don't think there's much more to be said about him, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, we asked last week whether um, any sort of tiny glint of hope in the title race was gone. Uh, It has very much been extinguished now. Well over 50 points separates them. That's two full race wins, plus the fastest lap point. Um, Max Verstappen is walking at uh, at a very leisurely pace to a third world title. And as you say, it's unrelenting. Um, where Perez, I guess, differs from someone like Valtteri Bottas is Bottas made Q3 in every single race for Mercedes that he raced, whereas Sergio Perez can't seem to make it uh, to such dizzy heights of starting in the top 10 at the moment. So um, I guess, you know, that's where it was a little bit more difficult for, for Lewis Hamilton. But I mean, it, it brings you back to the days of Hamilton, to Vettel, to Schumacher before that, and as you say, Senna before that, where you see them at the start on the TV, you perhaps see them making their pit stop. You see them finishing the race. Um, it was just inevitability. And that was a very, very solid weekend for Max Verstappen. 
and Perez. So that's the first part where we react to our how many seconds will Max Verstappen win by game. We now have a new segment of the podcast before we then dive into uh, the rest of the action. And lots of other sort of um, establishments like ourselves like to have sort of best driver of the week and fraud watch of the week. But no, we're going to introduce the average driver of the week segment as well as the average team. And we have a few nominees for this across the world of open wheel racing. In Formula One, uh, Pierre Gasly's stunning 10th to 10th drive was a, was a real fan favourite. Uh, Connor Daly going from 15th to 15th in the IndyCar race was superb. And then Formula E drivers, uh, Antonio Felix da Costa and Alvaro Mortara. I think that's right. I hope Taron's nodding at me because... Um... Yeah. <laughs> Eduardo Mortara going from P6 to P6 in race one and then going from P4 to P8 in race two whilst your teammates winning. And uh, yeah, as uh, James said, Antonio Felix da Costa finishing P8 in race one. And then P7 in race two was a very mid performance. Yeah, so mid mid of the week then. Um, I mean, we can break down those a little bit. We don't want to spend too much time on the podcast. I guess Pierre Gasly put in a great qualifying lap to be fourth. But, you know, with anything that good that happens, there's always, with every reaction, there is a complete and opposite reaction, um, said Sir Isaac Newton. And for Pierre Gasly, it was a six-place grid penalty for two separate impeding incidents. So that put any sort of good progress on hold as he then indeed went from 10th to 10th. And then uh, Connor Daly with a three-stop strategy in the IndyCar, which was the worst strategy. I mean, certainly uh, it didn't help like the likes of Marcus Ericsson um, or, you know, Connor Daly. He went indeed from 15th to 15th. So that's his... Uh, that's that's his mid of the week. So those are our contenders, but I think uh, we have to really give it to um, Pierre Gasly just for the fact that uh, he went from tenth to tenth in uh, uh, in in a stonking drive for just a solitary point. And then average team of the week. Then we'll go for Aston Martin. Um, they just had no race pace, did they, Taron? Yeah, I, I would really love to see if there's any other team that can match them. But Aston Martin were absolutely nowhere. P, I was at P6 and P7 in the F1 race. I was expecting Alonso to finish P2. The guy got strolled. We'll probably talk about that a bit later. But, you know, Aston Martin were as average as you can get. Average Aston Martin. Yep, uh, absolutely. No doubt about that. Uh, disappointing. Weekend for uh, Lawrence Stroll's lot. I think we can call them that. So now we've moved on from our fun parts of the podcast. Um, of course, we'll react to our IndyCar car predictions when we get on to the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix. Um, the most obvious team next to talk about is Mercedes. If you had said to them on Friday that they'd get a two and three on the podium, they might have laughed at you. But actually... It was a fairly decent result, although it took them a while to get going over the course of the weekend. And actually, Mick Schumacher doing a huge amount of work in the simulator uh, over the weekend to try and um, help out the team. Find the optimal setup seemed to work really well. Um, we can't read in too much into this because the W13 last year's car came alive around Barcelona before then flopping basically for the rest of the season. But how cautiously optimistic can Mercedes be that they now have a good baseline for the car with which they can then upgrade i mean i was saying last week that um i did mercedes didn't know where they were um we didn't really know where they were um but they've 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 showed up this week um you know russell getting knocked out in q2 was not a good start by any means whatsoever and um lewis hampton being out qualified by the likes of lando norris and pierre gasly 
definitely, definitely, it didn't seem like it was going too well. Um, but their race pace was brilliant. Just uh, fr from lap one to the end, their race pace was brilliant. Um, Russell fought his way back. Um, and as you said, P2 and P3, I reckon, you know, as you said, kind of if if you heard that at the start of the weekend, I'd, I, I don't, and nobody would have really believed you, but they took advantage of Perez's. Um, I'm not going to call them misfortunes just because they were they were pretty big bottle jobs, but um, you know it was it was just it was efficient. It was it, I'm not I don't think it was quiet. It but yeah it was just efficient, effective. Mercedes got their double podium and I they they really do deserve it. It was a brilliant drive by Lewis again. P two in the Mercedes is he's finished P two twice this season now. Off to Australia, but um, you know Russell's brilliant drive to P three. Um, Mercedes upgrades really showing fruition here. Yeah, I mean we're certainly we're we're one. You know, at the moment this this season without Red Bull would be a generational season with how good it is between Aston Martin, Ferrari, and Mercedes. And certainly Mercedes are. I'm gonna call it. They might not have the best car of the three, but they're the most well-oiled outfit of the three. I think that's fair enough to say. Certainly last year, um, when, you know, looking at the amount of points that Ferrari threw away and the amount of points that Mercedes were able to maximise, um, especially through the European rounds of the season when it didn't really favour their car, um, they nearly beat Ferrari to second in the constructors despite having a far inferior car. And, you know, again, Ferrari sort of messing up Leclerc's strategy. That he wanted the he wanted the soft tire. They gave him the hard tire. I mean, it was a painful listen, a very, very painful listen, um, on the team radio, certainly. So yeah, as as you say, um when you know when you when you look at all three of those teams, Mercedes are definitely the most well oiled outfit. And although the weekend didn't start perfectly, it certainly got better as it went on. And yeah, um I think they can be cautiously optimistic going to Montreal because that was where Lewis Hamilton's run of something like five podiums last season in a row went on. Um, you know, he got a podium then in Austria, at Silverstone, second at Hungary. Um, so, yeah, I think they can be cautious. And also they finished second and third in France as well last year. So they can be cautiously optimistic. Um, but, um, yeah, they're still a long way behind Red Bull. And they'll be hoping that the big upgrades that they bring, I think they're bringing both big upgrades to Austria and Silverstone off the back of this. So we'll see. Um, obviously, there's there's no you you can speculate all you like, but uh, and, unless it's on the track, you don't really know what the deal is really. Um, and uh, yeah, we can give them the cautiously optimistic prize of the week. So in contrast, we then got to talk about Ferrari. Um, Charles Leclerc qualifying nineteenth with he was uh, with was that something something was wrong because his teammate finished qualified P two. Uh, and then, I mean, Ferrari slipping back from their, well, Sainz slipping back from second to fifth and Leclerc only finishing outside of the points. Um, was it a shock to see Ferrari where they were? Or do you kind of think that Sainz actually pulled something out of the hat in qualifying and really their tyre wear issues and their lack of race pace um, came to the fore? And it's actually not really a shock that they finished fifth and 11th. Yeah, I'll start with the positives. Carlos Sainz in qualifying was brilliant. To put it on the front row in front of your home crowd, 
um was it was it was it was just a brilliant thing to see um for carlos uh, he he hasn't had like the easiest of seasons he hasn't he hasn't been driving the best by any means that he has but um putting on the front row in front of his home crowds was uh, just utterly brilliant okay where do we start with this negative ferrari business um so yeah charles charles leclerc his start his season has been shocking bahrain dnf cheddar Turn place grid penalty for um, his engine parts. Australia, DNF. Baku, uh, you know, failing to convert pole to victory was kind of expected, but um, I, I do think, actually think that was a good drive by him. Uh, Miami, he crashed in quali. Pretty typical. And Monaco, he got a three-place grid penalty. So we come to Spain, right, and we think, how could things get possibly worse for poor Charles? And, well, um, it, 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 it literally happened. The guy got knocked out. He, he gets knocked out in Q1. I don't know what the hell was wrong with that Ferrari this week. But you, you could just see Charles really struggling. I, he was, I think he was struggling with the rear end. It was just sliding all over the place. The car just didn't seem to be able to stick into any corners. Um, and then the race happened. Charles, starting from the pit lane... Um, you know, hoping for some points, kind of like that was the minimum. That was the target, and the guy struggled massively. And again, we saw Ferrari strategists come out in full flowing force. Um, so you know when you start on hard compound tires, you meant to go like long into you. You to go like long into a race. You meant to like extend your stint, maybe hope for some late safety car business. You know, and if not. You know, if there's like a lap one safety car, you pit your driver, put on like some brand new spanking set of mediums and see how far he can go or something like that. Okay, Charles pitted on lap 19. Lewis Hamilton started on the soft compound tyres. So, you know, a lot higher wear, you know, goes to lap 25. Um, Ferrari. Strategy. Francesco needs no strategy. Of course, the best quote from Cars 2. And yes, um, Ferrari not strong on their strategy department. It was really funny seeing Leclerc take off his hard tyres before Hamilton and Russell had rid of their softs. Yeah, yeah, it's like I we used to treat it as a joke. But this is genuinely painful now because... Like last week, I had a little go at them for double stacking in Monaco for the second year in a row, which makes no logical sense. And they go and do this in Barcelona. Like, if you're Charles right now, how sane would you be to just be staying at Ferrari beyond your contract for 2024 when you have your strategy team doing stuff like this? It makes I'm I'm really listen my my brain is hurting. Like Charles Charles is Charles is in pain right now. Like the guy the guy couldn't even get points. He finished in P11. He couldn't even take advantage of Yuki Sonoda's five second penalty um, for pushing uh, Granny Joff track. But um, you know Ferrari strategists um, pretty typical indeed. Yeah, uh, not good. Um... 
Uh, it was a disappointing weekend, of course, for the Scuderia. And uh, another one on the list of 2023 races that they'll be looking to forget in a hurry. Um, I mean, in terms of the last bits of Formula 1 that we got to talk about, there was actually some good scraps in the midfield. Um, the first half of the race was vaguely entertaining um, between Haas, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri. I thought Yuki Tsunoda drove a very, very strong race. Actually, I thought Joe Guan Yu also drove a brilliant race. Um, they put on a lot of excellent fights. Sonoda was penalised, I think, very harshly for forcing Joe off at Turn 1. Um, it, was, it was one of those where I think it's six, six of one, half a dozen of the other. But they did put on a very, very good show for us. Um, and uh, then the last ones to talk about, really, to really talk about, is McLaren. They called it themselves that they were one-lap wonders on Saturday and they were really not expecting their race pace to be strong. Um, and, of course, if there's if there's one set of people that's normally right about that, it is the engineering department in the team themselves. And um, Lando Norris, unfortunately, had that contact with Lewis Hamilton at turn two. No other driver was at fault. Um, science checked up. Hamilton had to avoid it. Norris was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, Oscar Piastri went from ninth to 13th. Uh, Lando eventually crossed the line something like in 18th or 17th. I mean, uh, a very, very difficult afternoon for the Woking outfit. Um, qualifying looked like a big step forward, and then they certainly took a lot of steps backwards um, afterwards. How would you sort of summarise uh, their afternoon's work? Yeah, they, they were definitely one-lap wonders. Piastri getting into Q3. Lando putting it onto the second row in P3 was utterly insane. Like, we were all just seeing Lando in P3, and we just thought, what the hell has Lando been eating for breakfast this morning? But, um, you know, it, his, his... Oh, dear, Lando. Um, his time in P3 lasted longer than Ferrari's hopes for a Constructors' Championship in 2023. Um, all gone by Turn 1. Uh, had a bit of contact with Lewis Hamilton as he... He didn't want to let that P3 go, but um, unfortunately... He had to let it go, and yeah, Piastri just really struggled uh, there onwards. But um, another driver who I really want to pick up on is Fernando Alonso. I said that this guy would finish in P2 at uh, last week. I had really high hopes that he would be on the front row beside Max Verstappen. He could have done some of his uh, genius that he did, I think, in 2011 or 2013 or whatsoever when he took the lead into Turn 1. Um, with his awesome starts, but um, the guy got strolled. Sir Lancelot, did did you see the uh, track domination lap before qualifying or something like that? Where I I, I do love F1's new graphics these days, um, as much as the next guy, but they they showed the the track domination like lap, and you had Alonso in green and Stroll in white, and the track was fully green. Obviously. Lance Stroll was looking at this, feeling very offended indeed. So he just decides to um, say, um, well, screw you guys. I'm just going to go and uh, qualify ahead of my teammate. And I'm going to beat him in the main race too. As Fernando, this is, I, f I feel like this is Fernando's first kind of disappointing race of the year in a way. He's, yeah, it, was, it was just not what we kind of see of Fernando. Um, and of course, uh, I'm... Fernando, you are allowed to have one poor weekend each year. Just not at your home race, please, mate. 
I, I was just, I was really sad to, see, it was really sad to just see him really kind of down in the dumps and being strolled. But um, you know, P6, P7 for Aston Martin, uh, falling behind Mercedes in the constructors kind of seems a bit kind of more realistic if you get what I mean nowadays. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, Alonso was in those last few laps. He said on the radio, "I'm not going to attack Stroll." He probably could have got past Lance for sixth, but really. They were so far behind Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull that they really just had to kind of sit in and accept that uh, sort of 12 points was going to be their maximum or 14 points was going to be their maximum showing from Spain. And yeah, I mean, all this was all geared up for Fernando Alonso to take his 33rd win and in the end it unraveled rather fast over the course of the weekend and on the last lap I mean Fernando was just sort of waving to the crowd and not really concentrating as he was just behind uh, his teammate Lance Stroll so that is the Spanish Grand Prix wrapped up in uh, in 20 minutes or so which means we've got a little bit more time to talk about the uh, Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix and then the Formula E's doubleheader in Jakarta and um, we won't spend like an hour um, on it like we did last week but um we'll pick up on bits and pieces and um if you didn't watch the race it was a pretty good race i expected it to be much messier than it was we did indeed have 32 laps of caution i think out of the 100 lap races i think we had eight cautions over the course of the race but one of them was actually on lap one the field wasn't stacked up enough and uh, so the race started behind the yellow flag and then on lap two we actually got going for real and that lasted only three corners as Callum Eilat tried to leapfrog Kyle Kirkwood literally uh, and um, that ended the British driver's day and in the end Alex Pillow absolutely dominated the race to take home his second victory of the season and take a massive championship lead. 51 points the lead stands at, which for IndyCar is almost unheard of considering for the last something like 23 years, the title fight has gone down to the very final race. That could be under threat this year, um, but uh, of course, it's a very long season with a huge variety of tracks to go and uh, Pelot, of course, is only human at the end of the day. But um, again, we'll start with this. We start with, you know, how impressive was Max Verstappen. How impressive was Alex Pillow? Yeah, the, the signs of dominance were right at the start of the race. The guy, I think, we put out like something like a 10 second gap right at the very start of the race. Uh, and, you know, he, he didn't really look back. You know, yes, cautions took away that gap. The guy just made the gap again, um, defended from restarts. It was Mr. Mr. kind of consistent in the IndyCar season. Showed up again, um, you know, he took pole position, converted it to the win. Uh, domination like no other. But yeah, you picked up about that race start. Callum Eilat just uh, breaking a little bit too late and smashing into Carl Kirkwood's rear end. And I'm going to ask you, James, how pleased were you about that Carl Kirkwood fight back? Because that was quite something. Yeah, Carl Kirkwood was so impressive. I mean, from going from virtually plum last to coming back to sixth. Uh, he's been strong on all the street courses this year. I mean, he qualified in the top six in his first race for Andretti in St. Pete. Obviously, the race kind of unraveled, but uh, he went vaulting over the top of Jack Harvey. Um, but, you know, unfortunate for Kyle. But really, at the same time, it's been a strong, sp strong season for him on those street courses. And then winning the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach in scintillating style um, in April. So, you know, headed to Detroit with high hopes and it all kind of went wrong at turn three, but then he fought back to finish sixth and 
really, you know, that's a, that's a very, very strong drive. And Andretti have really just had good street course pace. I mean, they finished one, two, and four in Long Beach. Um, Grosjean could have won in St. Pete if he wasn't taken out by McLaughlin. And really, Grosjean in general has just been unfortunate this year. I mean, you look at uh, yesterday, he's, he's not finished four of the seven races that we've had this season. Two of them, admittedly, his fault, Texas and the Indianapolis 500. But the one on St. Pete is all on McLaughlin and McLaughlin went and apologised for a, a, a firm a, a firm and unfair move. Um on uh, on the Swiss French driver, and then yesterday he had a suspension failure on the very bumpy track that caused him to crash. They didn't pick up on it on the broadcast; they thought he just binned it. But actually, you know, you heard the Andretti team saying, "You did absolutely nothing wrong. You've done nothing wrong. Um, the car wasn't suited for the circuit. Yeah, you've done nothing wrong." And although he looked furious with himself, I think it was just more frustration that he was running a very solid race in the top top five, top ten. Um, with a good car, and uh, it all kind of unraveled rather fast. So, yeah, good for Carl Kirkwood. Not so good for Roman Grosjean. Um, Andretti will leave uh, Detroit thinking that was perhaps a missed opportunity, I guess, with two of their cars at least. Um, they can feel slightly frustrated, um, but I guess no one was going to beat the dominance of Alex Pelot. And um, Team Penske, Will Power, with undoubtedly his best performance of the season second time he's been on the podium but uh for sure i think his best one uh he was the only one that looked like he might be able to challenge alex Pelot. um he tried everything he could to get past the uh the, the fine spaniard but um it wasn't to be what did you make of uh will power and uh team penske as a whole over the course of the weekend yeah, I mean, Team Penske are kind of other than Will Power. Uh, Joseph Newgarden finishing in P10. Um, it was it was an okay drive for the Indy 500 champion. Um, McLaughlin, you know, the guy qualified, I think, on the front row. Um, and then finish, ended up finishing in P7. Again, a pretty okay-ish drive. Um, and then, of course, we talk about Will Power. Uh, the guy was almost overtaking. Alex Plot on those re on those race restarts, but sadly he couldn't make the move stick. He had a, he was um, nudged by Scott Dixon, I think. Um, McLaren's were almost challenging him, uh, but um, he just he just held his cool, keeping his uh, he, he, the, the veteran really uh, keeping calm uh, despite his being nudged and uh, just bring just bring his car in P two. I think was the really important bit because it was so easy. To screw up those race restarts, especially um, with Alex Pelot. The guy went in deep into turn three, I think, on one of the race restarts. Um, I definitely think perhaps Will Power, um, he could have maybe I've broken a little bit early, got that switchback move on him into turn four, which I saw a lot of drivers doing. Um, but, you know, that kind of brings me on to that team. McLaren. Um, well, Obviously, Pato Award came out of the uh, Indianapolis 500 seething um, with uh, Marcus Ericsson. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, Award's day ended in the wall at the final corner. Um, McLaren had a rocky race. Uh, Felix Rosenquist, with his best result um, for some time, ended up on the podium. Uh, Alexander Rossi was not so pleased with the move from uh, Felix Rosenquist. And then, yeah, Pato Award had a disappointing day. In general, um, tough tough day for the team, I think, because they're consistently, the, the, you know, they're consistently mixing it with the with the big two in IndyCar. Um, people saying, "Oh, it's a big three. Really, it's been a big two for a long time. The only 
non-Penske or Andretti, uh, non-Penske or Ganassi driver to win the title was Ryan Hunter Ray back in 2012. It's really been a uh, Penske and Ganassi dominated series, and McLaren are starting now to mix it up with uh, with with the top the top drivers. But really, the, it's it's a case of missed opportunity here. Um, third and fourth on paper does not look like a bad result, but then O'Ward stuck it in the wall and. You felt that when Rossi got up into second, he might be able to challenge Alex Pelot. On that final restart, in the end, he was actually gobbled up by the chasing pack. So, McLaren will leave, disappointed, leave Detroit feeling disappointed, um, certainly, um, because now O'Ward drops to fifth, I think, in the championship standings behind Dixon and Newgarden. Uh, Rossi in sixth, and Rosenquist jumps up into the top ten overall. Um I guess the last team to talk about, we've already talked about a certain Spanish Alex Pelot, but uh, Chip Ganassi Racing have both Marcus Ericsson and Scott Dixon in the top five in the championship, plus Marcus Armstrong leads the Rookie of the Year by some distance, despite not taking part in either the Indianapolis 500 or the Oval around Texas Motor Speedway. Um, his performance was awesome yesterday. Um, he even felt disappointed coming from 11th to 8th with how fast his car was. Um, Scott Dixon felt he had the fastest car on the day, ended up finishing fourth. Um, he was swallowed up in that power, Rossi, Rosenquist um, incident on the very penultimate restart um, where, you know, uh, you've already explained that kind of it all went wrong for a few parties there. Um, but, yeah, Chip Ganassi Racing, quietly efficient. Um, last year was mainly dominated by Team Penske, but so far, Penske have only won two races. Ganassi have won four of them, and Andretti Autosport with a uh, with another one. Sorry, they've won three races. I can't I can't count. I, I can't count. It's actually three three. Um, but I forgot McLaughlin won in uh, Alabama. Um, but yeah, they they just seem to be much more consistent. I think, and that and that's the thing where Penske was so good last year. Ganassi seems to be that strong this year because uh, Alex Pelot's only finished outside the top five once all season. Ericsson has never finished outside the top 10 this season. And um, other than uh, Scott Dixon's incident at Long Beach, he's never finished outside the top seven. They are crushing it this season, our uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. And, um, you know, if we're not careful, Alex Pillow will run away with this championship. And um, the other two will be left scrapping, I guess, for second in the, uh, in the point standings. But, of course, this is IndyCar and anything can happen and most likely anything will happen. And so... Um, you know, we can't be making assumptions too quickly. Uh, Penske Palace is, of course, coming up in Worldwide Technology Raceway. They haven't lost a race there for goodness knows how long. Iowa, they were so strong there last year. Ganassi weren't, so we'll see. Um, but uh, lots of fun still to come in the NTT IndyCar series. So, we actually, we can't give our predictions for Road America now, can we? It's still two weeks away. And we've had so much fun racing action that actually we can't do it. That's four weekends of IndyCar now back-to-back -back that we've had. Um, so it's actually time for us to take a little cool off. But who do you think will need to benefit the most from having the week off? Who needs a bit of a reset? And uh, why is it Graham Rahal? Oh, yeah, poor Graham Rahal. I, I say poor Graham Rahal. I mean, the guy just crashed under a caution. It's kind of inexcusable. And, of course, uh, Benjamin Peterson kind of uh, just, just decided to join him. He thought, hi, Graham. I, re I really want to join you, mate, uh, in, in that corner and uh, decided to um, rear-end him. But, um, you know, Pato Award. Oh, dearie me. Oh, he was so poor. Like, 
I, I like you, I know you know how does Pit stop? Um, had that little powertrain issue, I think it was, and uh, then he decides to ch do the same move. I think he did. Was it on Scott Dixon and Longbeat, where he just sent it up the inside? Um, probably way too quick. You needed the other driver to to um kind of back out of that move. Um. He did it on Santino Ferrucci at the final corner and it made no sense at all. And he ended up finding a barrier. So um, Pato Award definitely needs a week off. He needs to seriously consider stuff right now because, as you said, Chip Ganassi Racing, Alex Play, running away with this championship. Um, and, well, that's Pato Award. He's, he's just been nowhere in the last two rounds. Um you know, certainly after the Indy 500, sending sending that day later the dollar short move on Marcus Ericsson really, um, he he just needs to have a week have a week to refresh. Uh, certainly, the same can be said for Roman Grosjean. Uh, he's just he 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 needs a clean race. Uh, kind of now more than ever. Um, because I I have to say he's probably been the best Andretti. He's probably been the best Andretti driver this season, in my opinion. Uh, Roman has been seriously impressive, um, uh, but uh, you know he just needs that clean race. He needs to just uh, don't, don't drive too fast, Roman, uh, as uh, we like to set, say in 2011, 2012 in his Lotus days. Um, and then, of course, uh, you talked about Jim Ganassi racing. Marcus Armstrong certainly flirted with Marcus Eriksson's rear end into turn three a bit too much for James's liking. But, you know, as you said, James, you really cannot predict anything in this IndyCar season. I even got some predictions right and poured milk over my head this week. Um, you can surely go and see that on Twitter. Um, but, you know, uh, Road America in two weeks' time surely should serve as a treat as drivers try and chase down Alex Pillow in the championship lead. Yeah, um, you're right. No, uh, Roman Grosjean just, I think, almost needs to take the pressure off himself to get his first win. And just realise that it will come, just you don't force it. I mean, it could very. It, there's a very, very good chance that the um, that he could uh, that he could he could get it at Road America. It's a very European like circuit. He performed there very well in his rookie season in 2021 um, in the Dale Coin Racing Car. So you know, I think the pressure. He's got to take the pressure off himself. I think seeing seeing Kirkwood win in Long Beach when it could have been him. That again might have stung a little bit. Um, yeah, I uh, just got to take the pressure off yourself, Roman. It will come. Just, just got to relax. So, from the world of the NTT IndyCar series, we now will go across to Formula E, and um, it was racing in its double header in Jakarta, and um, I picked up on bits and pieces of it. Uh, but of course, Taron is our expert, and so he's now going to give us like he did last week, a full and comprehensive rundown of the doubleheader in probably about four minutes flat, uh, and you won't want to miss a moment. Um, go for it. Okay, challenge accepted. Um, so last week, uh, we were saying Nick Cassidy leading the championship by 20 points, and I kind of said, okay, I do expect him to be leading, but of course, you know, doubleheader race weekends, they can always serve up an absolute treat. And what did we get? Um, so race one, uh, Max Gunter took Maserati's first pole position since Juan Manuel Fangio. Sorry, first single seater pole position since Juan Manuel Fangio did in the 1958 Argentine Grand Prix. 
We then see uh, Pascal Verlein beating Jake Dennis to the win as the Jaguar drivers decide to take each other out for the second race this season. Sam Bird um, breaking a little bit too late, hitting Mitch Evans' rear end in the dying laps of the race. And, well, I guess, um, Sam Bird, mate, it was your fault. Um, as I was saying last week, mate, you are a good driver. You just tend to hit a wall this time. You decide to hit your teammate. Um, and then we get on to Nick Cassidy. He tr- he tried an audacious move on John Eric Fern. Um, and I th- his save after that move was pretty damn insane. He almost found a wall. Uh, was full opposite lock. Um, but um, certainly, you know, the championship did close a little bit. Um, you know, Nick Cassidy finished the race in P7. Um, so, but, but of course, Pascal Verlein winning that race closed the gap in the championship to just two points, I think it was. And then race two happened on Sunday. So, Max Gunter, uh, the man for qualifying, got back to back pole positions and then converted it to a brilliant race win. Maserati's first single seater race win since the 1957. Uh, Nürburgring Grand Prix with uh, Juan Manuel Fangio doing that again as Jake Dennis took his fifth second place of the season. The guy just loves finishing in second um, and he got his fourth podium in a row. And then, of course, I talk about Nick Cassidy and the guy bottled it. You know, it was a really poor race weekend by Nick Cassidy um certainly his qualifying efforts had a lot to be desired but um you know we've already seen that before and the guy has won races but nick mate he okay so he made a move i think um he so he made a move into the corner where attack mode was on pascal verline and it just didn't work at all he uh clipped pascal verline pretty controversially and was left to stare at a pointless race, which has uh, which he he he's he's now gone down to third in the championship. This Formula E championship is far from over. We have Pascal Verlein on 134 points. Jake Dennis trails him by only one point on 133, and then uh. <laughs> Nick Cassidy is on 128 points, five points further back from Jake Dennis. We also have a Porsche versus Envision Racing battle going on. Envision Racing have a really poor weekend. Sebastian Buemi was trying to crash into everyone. Uh, he certainly hit a Nissan and then hit Rene Rast. Um, as, um, you know, uh, Porsche uh, are ahead of Envision Racing, 212 points to 190 and another driver who I, well, two drivers who I want to pick up on. Uh, Lucas Degrassi uh, certainly wanted to end David Beckman's ride in his Andretti as quick as possible as he took the uh, the, the, poor, the poor Andretti racing driver out, I think, on lap four of 38. And uh, Nissan really ended any uh, kind of uh, effort. Stoffel Van Dorn was trying to get a podium in a brilliant team effort. That saw Van Dorn go from P4 to P10 in a lap. So, um, you know, that's just Formula E in a nutshell, I guess. But, um, kind of just to summarise this weekend, we have a huge championship battle brewing in Formula E. 
and you know um nick cassidy if he had to have a poor weekend he'd rather have it this weekend rather than kind of later down the line but pascal verline jake dennis they are back on it porsche powertrains porsche are back and we are in it for a serious treat with our next round in portland in three weeks time that's formally e summarized for you and if uh Formula E in Portland is anything like IndyCar in Portland, then you'll know that down into turn one, there will be fireworks. Except last year in IndyCar, where I was very shocked that actually every single driver made it through, which normally doesn't happen. Um, so, yeah, that was a very, very nice summary in uh, just over five minutes. Excellent work from Taron there. And, of course, you can find all the race reports on stuff online. Um, that's all we've got time for this week. Next week, of course, we'll be pre previewing the Canadian Grand Prix and the Sancio Grand Prix of Road America. And um, it's been scheduled so perfectly that they clash. So looks like um, we'll be having to watch it on split screen because not for a moment am I missing IndyCar, but at the same time, I don't want to miss the Formula 1 either. And I think lots of people will be in the same boat. For all of you UK viewers, uh, just FYI that... Uh, the Grand Prix will be on Sky Sports F1 and the IndyCar, I think, will be on Sky Sports Mix. So there you go if you're looking for which one to watch. And, of course, we recommend the NTT IndyCar series for actual overtakes, actual drama and some real racing with knees and elbows out. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's what we're looking for. So that's all we've got time for this week. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and uh, we will see you next week for our previews of Road America and the Canadian Grand Prix. Goodbye.